Good evening. The trial of three men charged with killing Ahmed Arbery in Brunswick, Georgia, in a racially charged case goes to the jury. The story of citizen arrest laws and slavery. And the president says gas prices will be coming down. With these and other stories, I'm Paul Durienzo with the WBAI News for Tuesday, November 23rd, 2021. A jury ordered 17 white nationalist leaders and organizations to pay more than $26 million in damages today over the violence that erupted during the deadly 2017 Unite the Rally in Charlottesville, Virginia. After a nearly month-long civil trial, the jury in United States District Court agreed the white nationalists, some say fascists, were liable on four of six counts. The lawsuit was filed by nine people who suffered physical or emotional injuries during the two days of demonstrations. White nationalist leader Richard Spencer vowed to appeal, saying the entire theory of that verdict is fundamentally flawed. Two claims were also made against Alex James Alex Fields Jr., an avowed Hitler admirer who intentionally drove his car into a crowd of counter-protesters, killing protester Heather Heyer and injuring 19 others. The jury found Fields, who was serving life in prison for murder and hate crimes, liable for more than $12 million. Heather's mother, Susan Bro, spoke with WBAI shortly after the verdict came down. Kind of relieved, frankly. Um... It seemed to me the case was pretty cut and dried as I followed the trial, but you never know what a jury's going to decide. I was glad to see that it, it shows the consequences of putting hate speech into action. Did you sit through any of the trial? You- no one was allowed in the trial except for the people testifying that day and the defendants. Even the plaintiffs didn't go in except for the days that they were testifying. So it was broadcast apparently online i followed it through someone on twitter who was posting play-by-plays and i didn't even read it every single day it you know it's um a little touchy for me still yet very emotional it probably always will be i mean that was my my baby girl what message do you think america should take away from this in the world part of it was Some of the defendants actually have medical expenses and loss of income that needed to be compensated. But the other thing is that there needs to be a demonstration that hate crime has consequences. Also, uh, helping to dismantle these particular organizations was important, I think. Do you think that that will have that effect? I think individuals need actual expenses met. Now, the punitive damages, I don't know what. I don't think any of that will ever show up. I don't think anybody has any money to give them. It's more about having it a matter of record and making sure that they don't make money off of it. So if they try and write a book or do something in the future to make money off of their activities, it's going to be uh, garnished probably right away. Right. I filed a civil suit against James Field a few years ago. Is there any way to get closure for something like this? Is that a ridiculous uh, concept? Yeah, I don't think there is such thing as closure. I think we just have to keep moving forward, trying to make systemic changes, trying to move ahead in um, an intentional manner towards justice and equity. I I think that's the goal. And uh, no, we're definitely not there yet. Mm -hmm. But this trial is a step in the right direction. What do you think the next step should be? I have no idea. (laughs) What would you like to see happen? 
of Charlottesville. They tore down monuments. Wasn't this a protest against these kind of monuments? And what that's what started all, all of this. Heather didn't march and say about the monuments. Heather marched in support of Black Lives Matter. I think the monuments are important to the communities that they were put up to offend originally. But systemic change has to happen. Just taking down monuments or um, putting up other monuments to replace them simply is um, symbolic, but it's not really getting to the heart of the matter, which is justice and equity. All right. Anything you'd like to add? Everybody do the right thing when the time comes. Don't look away. Don't turn your head, but step up and step out. Susan Brose, the mother of Heather Heyer, who was killed by a fascist who drove his car into counter-protesters. She said she was confident of the outcome from the beginning. Hundreds of white nationalists descended on Charlottesville for the Unite the Right rally on August 11th and 12th, 2017, ostensibly to protest city plans to remove a statue of Confederate General Robert E. Lee. Then-President Donald Trump touched off a political firestorm when he equated the fascists with anti-racism protesters, saying they were very fine people on both sides. In related news, the case of three white men charged with murder and the killing of 25-year-old Ahmed Arbery is now with the jury. Linda Perry has this report. Ahmad Arbery was fatally shot last year while running in Georgia. He was a runner. The defense said Arbery had no history of jogging in the neighborhood where he was killed. The defense also says Travis McMichael shot Arbery three times in self-defense as Travis and his father, Greg McMichael, and a neighbor, William Bryan, attempted to conduct a citizen's arrest of Arbery. This under their suspicion that he might have stolen something from an under-construction house. But a citizen's arrest, argues prosecutor Linda Donikowski, can't be used as justification in this situation. They have to somehow justify their actions by claiming citizen's arrest. They never, ever said on February 23rd, 2020, that they were doing a citizen's arrest or trying to arrest him. It was all, we wanted to stop, we wanted to question him about what he was doing because he must have committed a crime that day and we were going to hold him so the police could go back and figure out what crime it was that he must have committed as he was running down the street. Citizen's arrest. If the offense is committed in his presence or within his immediate knowledge, if the offense is a felony and the offender is escaping, a private person may arrest him. Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot to tell you this. A private person may not act on the unsupported statements of others alone for their probable cause. What does that mean? No gossip, no hearsay, nothing along those lines. In other words, my mom told me about this, where she has no personal knowledge of it, doesn't count. That's unsupported, unreliable statements of somebody else. The defense repeatedly blamed Arbery for his own death. A defense attorney for Travis McMichael, the man who fired the fatal shot, said Arbery was killed as he violently resisted a legal effort to detain him to answer questions about burglaries in the neighborhood. This was just outside the port city of Brunswick. Donikowski told jurors that the men cannot claim self-defense if they were the aggressors. And she recounts Greg McMichael's statement to the police. My intention was to stop this guy so they could be arrested. Never says for what. Never says what crime it was he was going to be arrested for. I don't think the guy's actually stolen anything. Did he break into a house today? I don't know. And in that same sentence, he could be arrested 
or at least identified. So this is all for identification. This, this whole entire thing, this, this was all to do what? Identify Mr. Arbery. That's what we're doing. That's what Gregory Michael says. How do you know it was an attack on Mr. Arbery? Strangers with intent to kill. I yelled, stop or I'll blow your f***ing head off or something. I want them to know that we weren't playing. This is what he said to the police. Now, Thorpe got up here and went, oh, uh, yeah, he was just confused. He didn't mean that. He was really, he, was, he didn't remember what he said. Really? He proudly told the police, this is what he said to Mr. Arbery. We're going to kill you if you don't stop. The prosecution said this isn't about whether the three are good or bad people. It's about accountability. When they do something like this, they have to be held accountable and responsible. Nobody gets a free pass. Okay? Would you get a free pass? Who gets a free pass? No. The law basically says if you commit the crime, you're going to be held responsible. And ladies and gentlemen, when you come back with a guilty verdict on all the charges, this isn't saying somebody's a good person or a bad person. What you're saying is, you know you committed the crime. Now we know you committed the crime too. That's all it is. They know what they did. It's not like they don't know what they did. Jurors got the case today on Tuesday after a nearly two-week trial in which prosecutors argued that the men provoked the fatal confrontation and defense attorneys insisted their clients acted in self-defense. The prosecution got the final word because it carries the burden of proving its case beyond a reasonable doubt. Linda Perry, WBAI News, New York. Back to you, Paul. And thanks, Linda. We'll have more on this story later in the newscast. And another child has died in the horrific crash of an SUV into a Christmas parade in Waukesha, Wisconsin, raising the death toll to six with near 50 injured, some critically. Meanwhile, Daryl Brooks Jr. was charged with five counts of intentional homicide in the crash Sunday in Waukesha, a Milwaukee suburb. Conviction on first-degree intentional homicide carries a mandatory life sentence, Wisconsin's stiffest penalty. Brooks made his initial appearance in court Tuesday. He could be heard crying during the proceeding, leaning over with his head nearly in his lap with his attorney resting a hand on his back. Mayor Sean Riley described the parade as a Norman Rockwell-type event that became a nightmare. And in New York City, with a major Thanksgiving parade on tap for Thursday morning, Mayor Bill de Blasio said the gathering would be safe. It's tragic and horrible what happened in Wisconsin, but I will tell you, uh, NYPD, for years and years... Uh, has planned for very careful security around the parade. It's something we talk about the night before. We give an update uh, every year on what's going on, but uh, very meticulous efforts have been made uh, to prepare. We've dealt with a lot of threats previously. At this moment, there's no uh, credible and specific threat to New York City. But we take it seriously, and we're in a high state of preparation for sure. Mayor de Blasio, weather on Thursday expected to be cool and dry with a little wind, perfect for a parade. That's been canceled since the COVID pandemic swept the city. 
And in Washington, earlier today, President Joe Biden ordered a record 50 million barrels of oil released from America's strategic reserve, aiming to bring down gasoline and other costs in coordination with other major energy consuming nations, including India, the UK and China. So today I'm announcing that the largest ever release from the U.S. Strategic Petroleum Reserve to help provide the supply we need as we recover from this pandemic. In addition, I brought together other nations to contribute to the solution. India, Japan, Republic of Korea and the United Kingdom have agreed to release additional oil from their reserves and China may do more as well. This coordinated action will help us deal with a lack of supply, which in turn helps ease prices. The bottom line, today we're launching a major effort to moderate the price of oil, an effort that will span the globe in its reach and ultimately reach your, your corner gas station, God willing. And that's the president earlier today. Gasoline prices are at about uh, $3.40 a gallon, more than 50% higher than a year ago, according to the American Automobile Association. The Strategic Petroleum Reserve is an emergency stockpile to preserve access to oil in case of disasters. Maintained by the Energy Department, the reserves are stored in caverns created in salt domes along the Texas and Louisiana Gulf Coast. There are roughly 605 million barrels of petroleum in the reserve. Americans used an average of 20.7 million barrels a day during September. That's according to the Energy Information Administration. That means the release equals about two and a half days of additional supply. And TC Energy is seeking $15 billion in damages from the United States government for the cancellation of the Keystone XL pipeline project, having filed a formal request for arbitration under the North American Free Trade Agreement. State Department spokesperson Ned Price that we've received a request for arbitration from TC Energy Corporation and TransCanada Pipelines Limited. Canada is a key U.S. partner in energy as well as in efforts to address climate change and protect the environment. Uh, we look forward to working with Canada to meeting these challenges together. We will and we know we must. We expect to publish the request for arbitration on our website in the coming weeks. And in the meantime, as I said, uh, we're just not in a position to comment on pending litigation. And that is net price of the State Department. TC Energy recorded a roughly $1.8 billion impairment charge for Keystone XL in May and formally terminated the project in June. The roughly $9 billion Keystone XL project was designed to move 830,000 barrels a day of heavy Canadian crude through Nebraska and ultimately to the Texas Gulf Coast through the entire Keystone system. Keystone XL previously was killed by the Obama administration and promptly revived by former President Donald Donald Trump. But court rulings and regulatory holdups kept TC Energy's pipeline construction from progressing far enough in 2020, and Biden had long vowed to revoke the presidential permit if he won the White House. And in New York, Michael Cohen, who was former President Donald Trump's longtime personal lawyer until his 2018 arrest, said today that his three-year prison sentence, mostly spent in home confinement, was over as he took another swipe at his former boss and vowed to continue cooperating with law enforcement probes. How's it feel to be free man? It feels great. <laughs> we are a country of laws without justice. My release today in no way negates the actions that I took at the direction of and for the benefit of Donald J. Trump. But it also does not negate the behavior of the Justice Department, Bill Barr, the Southern District of New York prosecutors, Judge William H. Pauley III, or Donald himself. 
in my initial incarceration and prosecution. It also does not excuse the latter unconstitutional action of remanding me back to Otisville due to my refusal to waive my First Amendment constitutional right to publish my memoir, Disloyal. Nevertheless, I remain cognizant of my responsibilities and my release today. And today I will not cease my commitment to law enforcement. I will continue to provide information, testimony, documents, and my full cooperation on all ongoing investigations to ensure that others are held responsible for their dirty deeds and that no one is ever believed to be above the law. Cohen, who reported to prison in May 2019, was released to home confinement after about a year as authorities released low-security risk inmates during a coronavirus outbreak in federal prisons. He was returned to prison weeks later before a judge ordered him returned to home confinement, saying that returning him to prison was clearly meant to punish him for his plan to publish his book titled Disloyal, the true story of Michael Cohen, former personal attorney to President Donald J. Trump. And in the trial of returning to Georgia, in the trial of the three alleged killers of Ahmed Arbery, the central legal issue was Georgia's Civil War era law allowing citizens to make arrests. The law was partially repealed after the Arbery killing, but it's a law that's operable for the purposes of the trial of a father and son, Travis and Gregory McMichael and William Roddy Bryan. But defense lawyers were quick to make use of the statute. The evidence shows overwhelmingly that Travis McMichael honestly and lawfully attempted to detain Ahmaud Arbery according to the law and shot and killed him in self-defense. And defense lawyer Kevin Goh said it wasn't his uh, client's fault if Arbery wanted to what he called commit suicide by citizen's arrest, drawing a connection with the phenomenon called suicide by cop. That's drawing a police shooting as a way to kill oneself. Suicide by cop is not reasonably foreseeable, nor is suicide by citizen's arrest. When Mr. Arbery turns towards Mr. McMichael, that is an intervening circumstance that breaks any causative chain here with respect to the shooting and death itself. Likewise, and I'm certainly not taking sides in this. It'll be for the jury and for the court to determine the guilt or innocence of the McMichael defendants. And that was today, uh, or earlier this week, I should say, Prosecutor Linda Dinikoski described the law during her summation today. So what is the law? A private person may arrest an offender if the offense is committed in his presence. What does that mean? Right here, right now, I saw you commit an offense, okay? I saw you criminally trespass on that property right here, right now, on February 23rd, 2020. I saw you commit a burglary. I saw you commit whatever crime it is, it's in your immediate presence or within immediate knowledge, okay? We talked about that. What that means is I saw the crime. I can't chase after the person. I just have to try and arrest them right there. But if it's a felony, if it's a felony, and if they're escaping, they're running away, I get to chase after them. A private person may arrest him upon reasonable and probable grounds of suspicion. And that was uh, Linda Dinikoski, uh, the prosecutor in the trial. Alan Singer teaches history at Hofstra University, previously at New York City high schools. He says the citizen arrest law in Georgia was used to capture escaped slaves during the Civil War 
and had a long history previously in England, the colonies, and later the United States itself. There are citizens arrest laws in virtually every state and locality in the United States. And they date back to medieval England, where they're part of English common law and they're brought over to the American colonies. What happens that's distinctive in Georgia is that Georgia is the first state to codify its laws. In 1863, during the Civil War, Georgia has a problem. Its slave patrols are all up in Virginia, defending Richmond from Union forces. Enslaved Africans are leaving the plantations to flee to Union lines and freedom. What Georgia does is it adds to its law code, citizens arrest, which basically empowers any white person to stop any black person to assume that they're committing a crime. What's the crime they're committing? They're stealing property. What's the property they're stealing? They're stealing themselves. So that's the origin of the Georgia citizen's arrest law. And would they need any reason? Would they need any reason to stop somebody? They're black. Being black under the original citizen arrest law in Georgia was sufficient justification for stopping someone and demanding that they prove they were free. Under the Fugitive Slave Acts of 1793 and 1850, which are federal acts, essentially they have the same impact. Under the Fugitive Slave Act, any African American who is stopped must prove that they are free. The assumption is that they're property and that they're stolen property. So there's this long tradition in the United States, a long history of African Americans being denied any kinds of due process. You have people in the North, free people, being kidnapped and sold into slavery because they weren't unable to prove they were free. What happens after the Civil War is these laws continue because during Reconstruction, what you have is the emergence of white terrorism. That's the Ku Klux Klan. And what the citizens' arrest law does, really for the next hundred years, is it gives cover for white terrorism against African Americans. What is the link between these fugitive slave patrols we were just discussing and the yeah. use of the citizens' arrest statute, which I believe is no longer in play and it was actually repealed after the arbitrary? It was modified. It was modified. State of Georgia was embarrassed by what happened, by having a law dating back to slavery days. So they repealed the original Fugitive Slave Act and they replaced it. What's going on in Georgia today is these three men did not witness a crime. They saw a black man jogging in the street and they took it upon themselves to try to stop him, to corral him with their vehicles. They assaulted him. Because they assaulted him, they have no right to argue self-defense. He was the one who was engaging in self-defense, not them. They murdered him because they were racist, because their assumption was a black man jogging through rural Georgia must have been involved in some kind of crime, which they did not see, and actually no crime had taken place. Alan Singer teaches history at Hofstra, previously in New York City high school system. He says the citizen arrest law was used to – oh, we just went through that. Let me jump ahead. Ashley M. Jones was recently named the Poet Laureate in Alabama. She's the author of 
uh, the poem All Y'all Really from Alabama that describes life in a place where citizens' arrest is the law of the land. All Y'all Really from Alabama. The straitjackets of race prejudice and discrimination do not wear only Southern labels. The subtle psychological technique of the North has approached in its ugliness and victimization of the Negro, the outright terror and open brutality of the South. Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Why We Can't Wait. This here, the cradle of this here nation. Everywhere you look, roots run right back south. Every vein filled with red dirt, blood, cotton. We the dirty word you spit out your mouth. Mason Dixon is an imagined line. You can theorize it or wish it real, but it's the same old ghost, see-through, benign. All y'all from Alabama, we the wheel turning cotton to make the nation move. We the scapegoat in a land built from death. No longitude or latitude disproves the truth of founding father's sacred oath. We hold these truths like dark snuff in our jaw. Black oppression's not happenstance, it's law. And that's Ashley M. Jones. She was recently named the Poet Laureate of Alabama. She was reading her poem, All Y'all Really from Alabama. And that's some of the news for Tuesday, November 23rd, 2021. The news is produced by Linda Perry. Our engineer is Reggie Johnson. From New York City, I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for